we have, you know, about six million in in cash that we raised. I acquired three companies along the way, so you know, for all stocks, so you know, a, a capital stack of around ten million in preferred. But then, you know, when we felt like we got the product to a point that um, it was the best product in the space, and, and we are right now. We've accelerated that. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Hey, folks. My guest today is Chris Morantis. He's a technology entrepreneur and business leader on a mission to help small businesses leverage the power of digital transformation. He's the CEO of Surefire Local and has focused the company's efforts to build powerful marketing solutions that give SMBs cost-effective, easy-to-use tools, usually only available to the big guys. He's having a lot of success doing it. Chris, ready to take us to the top? Yes, let's go. All right. Now, pre-show, you were just telling me how capital efficient you are. I don't know what you can share or not, but you got to brag a little. I'm giving you permission to brag a little bit. Can you share a little <laughs> bit about how capital efficient you've been? Well, you know, we've been doing this for 10 years, and we also, a company, had to make a transition from managed services to now being a software company. But, you know, one of the things, having been around the block and a little bit of a you know, sort of older entrepreneur, shall I say, um, is is making sure that you retain control of your company. And you talk about this, Nathan, all the time in your blogs, your interviews, everything you do. But, you know, two things happen when you raise a lot of money early. You know, one is you lose real control, operational control of your business. Um, But two, you really, you know, own a a small fraction of that business. And in all likelihood, you know, you're going to continue to lose more of that business because, you know, the whole game in the VC world is let's get in and fund this company, get them to either fail fast, spend a lot of money, you know, um, or, or, you know, if we see them spending money and getting some traction, we'll put more money in. Well, what does that do? That continues to dilute you. (laughs) So, you know, know, they are not on the same, um, operational plane as an entrepreneur and you know that's a you know, it's not to say vc money isn't good or they're not good people or they're not you know i don't want to you know this you know, cast a dispersion over them but you know it you know it, it, it they're not you know they're not in the same um you know the same objectives that you do as an entrepreneur i started this to serve a market and by serving that market to make money for my family and myself and my investors. And what year was that? And when did you start, by the way? 2010. And so are you able to share how you structured your capital stack today? Are you able to share sort of the, the equity raise versus yeah. the debt? Yeah. You know, we, we, we have you know, about $6 million in in cash that we raised. I acquired three companies along the way. So you know, for all stocks, so you know, a, a capital stack of around $10 million in preferred. But then, you know, when we felt like we got the product to a point that um, it was the best product in the space, and, and we are right now, we've accelerated that. Um, 
then I knew it was time to make the bet on the go-to-market. And that's when I started, the, you know, we're an Austin-based company now, um, started the Austin office with Mike Pierce and the, and the crew down there and, and really took that debt to, to really accelerate the go-to-market and, and, and get that go-to-market motion right. And that's when debt really works, you know, works well. I mean, it's okay to use friends and family money to get the product right and start to feel like you got that product market fit. That is a great way, non-dilutive way, to really accelerate, accelerate growth and get to break even. So how much debt did you raise? Um, total right now, about $10 million. So more than the, or almost equal, if you include the dollars for the acquisitions, but almost, yeah, about equal. Almost equal. And we'll, and like I was telling you earlier, we'll exit this year about 30 million ARR growing ARR at about 70%. And, you know, we'll, you know, be at break even. We'll actually just about there, you know, we'll, any day now we'll get, get there again. We were at break even before that in the earlier days. That's why we were very capital efficient. And then we started spending money to build the whole go-to-market and customer success organization and be able to scale that and use debt to do that. And now we're getting back to that break-even. We'll be able to continue to grow you know, above 50% without any other new capital. And, you know, and I'm able to make, you know, with the board, good decisions on you know, sort of where we want to go from here. Chris, what are the mistakes? A couple of things on the debt side, because you've done a really good job getting fantastic terms. Um, and full disclosure, you know, guys, we missed Chris. We were too small when he was raising ten million in debt, so we unfortunately did not get the privilege of doing his deal. Maybe in the future, though, we'll see. But Chris, for well, I would you, do one eight hundred Nathan for debt. <laughs> well, well, look, it's a big space. We're happy, and we want to chat about all the options. So, I believe you're working with Bridge Bank and recurring capital partners, and they've been great partners for you. Help other entrepreneurs understand what are some of the things that a founder should negotiate for when they're raising debt from anyone, us, recurring capital partners, Bridge Bank. Yeah. So when you're super capital efficient and you don't have a VC sponsor, right? You know, it's tricky because, you know, the traditional uh, banks like, Bridge Bank or Silicon Valley Bank or Signature, some of the other ones that you a lot of folks have heard of, their you know their their uh, go to market plan is, you know, get a company just just raised a bunch of money from a VC, give them a revolver, and they know that VC is going to back up that um, that debt play, um, and they're not going to ask for personal guarantees, right? So we're talking about debt. Without any personal guarantees, which is you know important you know for most entrepreneurs. Um, you guys, so, you shouldn't you be know, signing any debt deals where the you as the founder are signing personal guarantee. We obviously don't ask for that at yeah. FounderPath, but if anyone asks for that, you should run. There's too many other good options. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so the way you could do that is really simulate the VC by doing a deal with like FounderPath with you, know, you guys, Nathan, or recurring revenue. Um, you know, um, there's others, you know, in the space too, in the venture debt space. If, if you've got, you know, a good story and you're showing traction in, in growth, right. You know, you don't have to be at even break even, but if you're showing 
that you've got a product market fit and you could grow and you've got that you're somewhat dialed in, you know, you could go to a venture debt provider and you could get some type of a multiple on on your on your debt. And you know, once you do that, if you start to really show that you're using that debt wisely and you're able to continue to expand, then all of a sudden you make the other banks like the bridge banks and others feel comfortable that you know you, you're not that kind of a risk anymore. Still you, you need recurring capital partners evidence. first and prove that it worked and then brought in bridge. Exactly. Exactly. I see. Um, you know, we happen to use Tamiya first and then we, we settled Tamiya and brought in recurring um, for various reasons, but we were able to get bridge bank in once we got um, the Tamiya in place for 3 million at that time. Yeah. There's all kinds of flavors of terms associated with the Tamiya loan or current capital partners and the you know thousands of other, not thousands, dozens of other players out there. Let me just fire a couple at you and see how you respond. Um, uh, Chris, um, I'm, I'm going to act like I'm Bridge Bank. I'm offering you 10 million bucks. Do you want a 12-month payback period or a 48-month payback period? And how should founders think about payback periods? I would move that payback period as far back as you can. Um, because you know it's sort of like a balloon loan for a home. All of a sudden, you're just going to owe you know a bunch of money. And really, as an entrepreneur, you just want predictability for as long as you could get it. So yeah, that, I hope that answers that question. Okay, let me give you another one. I have another hypothetical that I know my audience is thinking about. Um, hey, Chris, um, I want to give you a two million dollar loan against your B two B SaaS revenues. Um, I can either give you a flat sort of 16% interest rate with a four-year payback, or if you want a lower interest rate, I can give you a, a 10% interest rate, but with 2% warrants. Which deal would you take? For me personally, I would rather not give up the warrants, you know, um, you know, because, uh, you know, I mean, the whole purpose of debt is that you... Um, that you try to limit, you know, but it depends on how big the warrants are and what kind of a partner it is. I, I wouldn't say it's off the table at all. Um, you know, and if, you know, if you, if it's, if it's a reasonable sort of warrant conversion and, you know, and even you could game it where you could put incentives in place for you to, you know, you, you know usually this is a bridge to, a private, ideally, a, a private equity round, not another a venture round, right? But a private equity round, and you know, you should be thinking about you know, sort of how your business is going to mature over the next couple of years, what that ideal you know sort of place is going to be, and you could you know sort of you know, sort of game optimizing the cost of that loan to where you think that's going to be. Yep. Let me give you another one. This one's a little bit trickier, uh, but I know you've seen all this, so I, you're the guy to answer. Hey, Chris, I'm going to give you a $2 million loan. Um, we're going to do, we can either give you a 15% sort of flat rate and no cash covenant, no 1% draw fee, no 20K legal bill off the start, or you know, we can give you 12% capital, so cheaper interest rate, but we require you keep a million of the $2 million in the bank at all times. You're responsible for our legal fees at the start, and there's other sort of backfilled terms. How do you think about those two things? Yeah, I'd rather like you know, look when you're doing venture debt, it's 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 going to be expensive. And if you're talking about if like when you do that as an entrepreneur, you've got to be of the belief 
that the value creation you're going to be able to do, because again, the, the, the thesis here is that you're using that debt to really accelerate sales. You know, you're not using it for product development, although you know, maybe a little bit, whatever, but, but really, you know, it's to accelerate sales, you know, and, and I could tell you per my personal experience is when I did that bet deal two years ago, you know, we were hanging around 10, 11 million ARR, um, had a great product, but you know, if you think, so I can't tell you how many people, Nathan, were telling me, you're crazy. I can't believe you're paying that much for debt. Okay. Well, I, you know, quadrupled the valuation of my company for my investors in May, you know, so is it expensive? Now, now that's why the key decision is that with that money, you know, you're going to be able to really drive value and you're super confident of that, you know, and whether it's, you know, two points here or two points there, you know, is, is not going to make or break. I'd rather have less cash going out the door. So you're able to, you know, create more value. Yeah. My counter would have been, no, the debt might be 19% interest, but you know how much the equity would have been worth if I raised and then quadrupled the valuation, right? <laughs> It would have been way more expensive there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What is going on, podcast crew? I want to let you guys know, I'm recording this just for you. We've got the big event coming up here shortly in about two weeks. Founder 500 in Austin, Texas. We've got over 500 B2B SaaS founders getting together. Over 100 of them have more, over 150 actually have more than a million in revenue. It's maybe the largest gathering of B2B SaaS founders with real revenues anywhere in the world. It's just going to be an amazing group. I don't want you to miss out. Grab your tickets by going, uh, just searching on Google, Founder 500, Founder 500 and you should find the Eventbrite link that way. I'd love to see you guys there. This is, the, I guess, the last question on this. Um, a lot of founders, are they don't have the confidence to know what they would do with a million to drive the growth. How did you build your sort of hypothesis and your thesis around where you're going to spend the money to have predictable growth? You know, I always had in my mind sort of general phases um, that my company had to go through um, as we made this transition. Like the first six years was through managed services, use as much as you can customer dollars to build the product and test the product and get the product market fit, you know. Um, you know, uh, then, you know, the, the you know, uh, then once you once you feel like you have the product, you know. Then the next phase is, I want to get enough new money in. So then that's why you know you could stair step your debt ladder to like get more debt as you prove it. You get you, you know your as your ARR goes up, you could get more debt. So you don't have to do it yep. all at once, right? So I said let's let's show that we could get super high growth. Um, so that's when, you know, I got the team in Austin and the leadership, Mike, Mike Pierce and, and, and others. Um, and 
it was just up and to the right. Honestly, it was magical up and to the right. You know, how was it? Was it ad spend dollars, the partnership channels, was referral fees? What was the channel? Well, you know what? Um, and this is probably a whole another conversation that perhaps we could do at your, at your conference, but it was really around changing go to market. Um, to from an inbound, like more, more like, like I, I was thinking and, and had a sort of like a um, predictable revenue type model where it's SDR inbound, whatever. And when I might not let Mike, who's a, you know, he was a CRO at digital pharmacist sold for 12 and a half times to K1. He was, you know, at a uh, main street hub, ran yep. 200 person sales organization yodel you know all the rest of it he really knew this it's a very transactional model and it's outbound primarily maybe 30 percent inbound once we made that change he he actually he said chris hire me and give me six people in austin and i'm going to show you what i can do we quadrupled monthly bookings in four months <laughs> that's amazing so he he transitioned <laughs> to outbound so he transitioned to outbound transactional model and it's super sophisticated and a ton of things to unpack because you got to do it right to make it work. Right. Um, it's, it's, it, 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 and, and there's a lot to unpack in that. But Chris, you're then, real then quick then on that note, just before, before I, before I forget, sorry. And then I'll let you, let you continue. You're giving a, you're, I can't wait for your keynote at founder 500, September 1st in Austin, Texas. I, if, if your guy in Austin is available, I would love for him to teach a private like VIP session on just outbound. It sounds like he's got some interesting things there. Is he around? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Amazing. Happy to do it. Yeah. Great Great. guy. He'll love you too. Yeah. Um, And um, so then, so then once I got that going, there was sort of this holy shit moment because like I said, we quadrupled monthly sales, but we didn't change our onboarding motion or customer success motion at all. So then we brought in a head of customer success who worked with Mike at, um, at uh, Main Street Hub, but was at GoDaddy running all VIP accounts. And then we, we changed the, all the motion around the onboarding to be consistent. Because really, one of the big changes in sales, and you could see it in customers' interaction in our platform, was we went from talking about the, you know, the mysteries of marketing and lead gen and today's world to showing them a demo just doing a demo, saying, here's how you're going to use the platform. Without even changing the back-end motion, all of a sudden, we saw interaction with all of our new cohorts in the platform going up by multiples. Historical cohorts, even, so expansion. Exactly. So so then so then we changed. We, we spent the you know, last year, basically, we invested like 300K in you know a whole bunch of sophisticated software. We're going to... We're, we're, Right now, I could say that we are elite in customer support and in knowing well, it is a whole another thing to unpack around that, but super, super cool about where we're at. And that's now enabling sort of this next phase of focusing on upsell and net retention revenue. Um, and what is that so today, by the way? Are you above 100%? No, we're not. We're, we're not above one hundred percent. We're we're just below, and it's hard in your space. At your ARPU, it's hard. It's super hard. Yeah. Super What's your hard. average price point? Um, well, we we have a pretty big. It's eleven eleven hundred a month. 
Okay. But that, I would say that's still sort of like um, on the lower end of mid-market. I mean, you're moving up market, but it's, I would yeah. say it's lower end mid-market still. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But, but, you know, so, so now getting, you know, you know, part of net retention is really under, you know, having a super clear vision of who your customers are, where they are in their adoption cycle and being able to serve the right new ideas at the right time. And now we're finally there to do that. So I'm really excited about the back half of this year for our company. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pumped for you guys. Um, we didn't chat a ton about the product. So let's just, let's give a call. We, we learned a ton though, so far. Why don't you go just quickly, what, what is the product doing in case any SMBs are listening that can really use you guys? Yeah, you know, what we do is we, we're an all-in-one platform. We're all, all the different channels and tools that you use to communicate with your customers and get new customers are all in one place. So no more silos, data silos. And we're really what we've become is a big data lake. And that data becomes super powerful to giving them insights into how to be more efficient and how to be more effective. So all the SEO, all the paid marketing tools and things like chat and a gallery to house all your media and push it around easily and and uh, you know, and text messaging all in one place on your mobile phone if you're on the go and on a desktop, and and you know, it just makes it super easy for you to be the most effective person marketing in your local area. And we're and just to be clear, we're focused on customers that have to generate uh, their their new business within geographies like zip codes. So yep. professional services head companies, white collar, blue collar. Yeah, this is a, a a a painter in a small town in Georgia that can only sign up, you know, people within fifty miles. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. All right, let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, favorite business book. My favorite business book. Um, you know, I just um, I'm spacing on the name. It was the coat. It was about coaching. The um, uh, say more. Silicon what was the color? Valley. Coaching. Uh, oh, uh, the, 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 um, the book on Bill Campbell, the, 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 co- uh, yes, yes, that's it. I know it. Yeah. 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 Bill Campbell. I know what you're awesome. talking about. Um, it's like the Silicon Valley coach or something like that. I forget. Yeah. 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 It was really, really great. And it really helped me to think about my leadership team and how to yep. interact. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? You know, um, I love Elon Musk. I know very binary thing with him, but I think that he's super transparent and I think he's super visionary and, uh, and he's got really good people around him to help clean up the mess. (laughs) And he knows enough to do that. He he knows enough about himself to do that. Yeah. Which is big. Yeah. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building Surefire? Wow. That, that evolves over time. You know, um, you know, right now, my key focus is on Chargebee. You know, we um, we spent the last eight months wrestling that bear of the ground, but that that combined with you know Service Desk and Involved AI and um, you know a couple of other tools um, gives us super micro visibility into our customers. That is very powerful. Number four, how many hours of sleep are you getting every night? 
I do pretty well with that, man. You know, I, I, I got one of those sleep number beds yeah. where like it gives you your, your number, like when I, so when I'm in town anyway. Um, That's awesome. And, um, and I'm, I'm at least six hours. I'm at least That's six awesome. hours. And Chris situation, married, single kids. Married. My daughter now took a job selling for Wiz in oh. New York, the hot Israeli. Um, she was at Octa before that. She was killing it, um, doing sales in, in SAS. So one, one, uh, one kiddo. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Chris, how, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I'll just say, take a guess. <laughs> I'm going to say you're, you're, you're 40 years young. All right. 40 years young. Last question. <laughs> Something you wish you knew when you were 20. You know, uh, something, wait, something I wish you knew when you were 20, you know, um, to take a long view of your life's progression, you know, and don't be too impatient because that'll prevent you from making short-term decisions that might not be in your best interest. Guy, surefire local, hell of a story. He capitalized the business with $6 million of equity, raised another 3 or ish million to do three M&A deals along the way, launched in 2010 as a managed services business, now servicing SMBs directly that pay on average 1100 bucks a month. This is a painter in a Georgia you know, sub small town that needs to sign up 100 clients a month to, to you know, do well. All-in-one solution at Surefire Local. They broke 20 million-ish last year, now north of you know, close to flirting with 30 million. Very capital efficient. Chris used 10 million bucks in debt. Right to drive growth, so only a dollar yep. of equity raised for every three dollars of AR. Incredibly efficient. Catch him live on stage at Founder Five Hundred September first. Chris, thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan.